This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Officer at Thorn Research and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and functional medicine doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorn Research. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast. How are things going for you, Bob? Pretty good, actually. We're having a little bit of a early spring here. Colorado weather is kind of the definition of schizophrenia. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just like one day it's, it's 10 degrees and the next day it's 65. So we've had these exceptionally warm days lately, and I've been able to get out and do a little hiking. So it's, it's great to get out and get some fresh air. Right, the hiking out there is gorgeous right yeah i i love getting up in the high country the high altitude you know ten thousand feet or so that's good for your hormetic effect that's yeah, good for your mitochondria mitochondria for aging yep absolutely and your lungs yeah a little bit of like panting not enough oxygen all good for the body so true okay folks today our main topic is going to be blood pressure so Bob, when someone comes to you with high blood pressure, how do you think about it? It's a whole lifestyle issue, obviously. First of all, this is a huge problem in Western society. It's not just Western society. It's a worldwide problem. You know, it's it's the way we live. And I say that because when you go into the jungle and, and measure the blood pressure, like, quote, primitive tribes... You know, it tends to be low. I think about the Tarahumara Indians in, down in Mexico, and they run blood pressure you know, 90 over 60 their whole life, right? But the norm, it's getting to be the norm in civilized society for people to have higher and higher blood pressure. So when you ask, well, how do I think about it? I think about it in the context of our society. It's not as much an individual problem. It's a big societal problem. And I'll just confirm what you're saying. When I started my training in South Africa and then I went to work in the bush, when I was working in the cities and I was working at Baragwanath Hospital, which is the biggest hospital in Africa, and in South Africa, there was apartheid at that time. So you either had to work in a black hospital or a white hospital. So Baragwanath was this huge black hospital with urbanized Africans and blood pressure, high blood pressure, was a major, major issue there because people had come from the country and had developed their Western lifestyle of eating all the crap and whatever. And they, you know, blood pressure was a huge problem. And then when I went to work in the bush for 18 months, blood pressure was not a problem. Yep, yep. People who had become urbanized developed blood pressure. So that's to sort of complement exactly what you were saying because the same people who had who were in the boy the rest of their families or whatever in, in in the rural areas did not have blood pressure at all it was not a problem at all and in the urban areas it was a huge huge problem yep so i i think if that makes the point that this isn't just some new genetic disorder that came out of nowhere that this is a lifestyle issue yeah. 
And a lot of the lifestyle factors that are involved in high blood pressure are put into place early in life. Too much salt, too much animal fat early in life. Like I'm, I'm not one of these people that says, well, you got to eat a low fat diet, that that's the best way to go. But I think, you know, a lot of animal fat, certainly the way that I was raised in South Alabama, you put salt on your melons. I remember that, you know, put salt on your cantaloupe, put salt on your watermelon. Like why on earth anybody would ever do that? I have no idea. But, but I, yeah, so I, I, I would say this, what I am finding that is most people or a lot of people are not salt sensitive. This is just happening with salt sensitive. Salt sensitive people. I, I actually see more of the problem as sugar. To me, the first thing I think of with high blood pressure is actually insulin resistance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My experience has been blood pressure usually is, it's very rare that people just have blood pressure alone. They, they usually have metabolic syndrome or insulin resistance. Yeah, and, and blood pressure is part of that picture. I mean, yes, I do see some people who just have high blood pressure. And um, in fact, what's interesting now is now that you can do this gen you know, I just saw a guy, an example, he eats vegetarian, I mean, really, relatively what healthy diet. Um, not that I'm saying a vegetarian diet is the only way to go as a healthy diet, but his, his diet is not one you'd think of, of causing high blood pressure. He meditates every day. Mm -hmm. And when we did his genetic testing, he was salt sensitive. And then when mm -hmm. I went back to ask him, he says, yes, my wife uses a lot of salt, you know, the Indian, mm -hmm. and he said, uses a lot of salt in the cooking. Mm -hmm. And we just switched him over to potassium chloride. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, his blood pressure went down. Which is, a, you know, that's been an ongoing debate as long as I've been in medicine, which is, is the problem too much salt or not enough potassium. Right. But he was particularly salt sensitive. Salt sensitive. I, I don't yep. see that that often. I mean, that was sort of, in a way, an anomaly. Yeah. Um, most of the people that I see with high blood pressure are usually more insulin resistant. Or yeah, more yeah. So syndrome. it's this whole, it's, I think what I'm saying is it's the whole shebang, right? Gestalt. It's everything. Yeah. It's the gestalt yeah. of it. And, you know, uh, again, where I grew up in South Alabama, they call that the stroke belt. And they, they call it that because there's so many people have strokes at an early age. And, you know, when I was in training, I used to see people with just ungodly high blood pressure, you know, the top number over 200. You know, I saw that on a regular basis. So I thought, well, it's it's got to be something that they're doing, something right. that they're eating. And I thought it was the combination, you know, it wasn't unusual for people to, to take their green beans and boil them with fat back for hours, right. you know, so you load it up with salt and fat and it's, it's all of it together. Right. And bad fat. But just to be clear that we're not saying that fat is necessarily bad. No, not at all. But it's the animal fat with the salt and all that stuff at an early age. And then the, there's also the problem with stress, which is, you know, really interesting. It's like you don't you don't know how much stress we live in until you get out of it. You know, you go a meditation retreat somewhere for a week where life is quiet and you don't have news that you're bombarded with, you know, all day long. I mean, if there's a tsunami in New Zealand, you know about it 15 minutes later. Yeah. So it's like the whole world 
because of the internet, the whole world is right there at our fingertips. And that creates kind of an emotional burden, I think. Yeah. And as you said, it's the whole gestalt of the way we live. We don't sleep enough. We're stressed out. We're not doing enough for the stress. We're more sedentary. We're not exercising. We're eating more altered fats, the vegetable oils that get altered when we cook with everything about our lifestyle choices. All our default choices are unhealthy in the way we live today. And you put that all together and why wouldn't you expect this epidemic of high blood pressure? Yep, absolutely. And, and then the problem becomes, you know, and I agree, you know, high blood pressure is a problem and you've got to do something about it. The problem is they go to their doctor, they get told they've got high blood pressure and they get put on blood pressure medication, which is fine. I'm not against blood pressure medication. But a lot of these lifestyle issues are not addressed. And, you know, sometimes people need blood pressure medication. There's no question about that. But if you don't address the lifestyle issues that are actually causing or are factors in, in high blood pressure, then I, I think that's a problem. Yep. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, it's interesting. There are plenty of studies showing that if you get people on a regular meditation program, that you can lower their blood pressure by five, 10 points. Right. Part of the challenge is that if you follow people over a lifetime, and I, you know, I've had some patients that I've followed for three, four decades, right? Over time, you see the blood pressure kind of creeping up. Yeah. And so what I tell people is, you know, eventually this may be a big problem, but let's try to delay that onset of that, right? And how do we delay the onset of that? It's really basic stuff. Losing weight has a huge impact. Meditating, regular exercise, you know, all the really basic lifestyle stuff can have a huge effect that lasts for decades. Yeah. And that's the important thing for people to understand is like, I'm not just so worried about like, what's your blood pressure right now? I'm worried about how this is going to progress over time if you don't, if you don't institute the proper lifestyle changes. So that's what I tell my patients. Right. And I think it's important for people to realize that it, blood pressure is not simple and uh, it, and it doesn't always respond to lifestyle. I mean, I've seen people who do all the right things, you give them the supplements, which we can talk about, and they still, their blood pressure doesn't come down. So I think there's some complicated mechanisms sometimes that we just can't, well, I can't anyway, nail down. And, and you know, sometimes people need blood pressure medication. So, you know, it's not that... I'm anyway, and I think you feel the same way, are against medication because if if you, if someone's blood pressure remains elevated, that I think it is important to bring it down because there are more and more studies showing, for instance, decreased cognitive abilities in people who've had blood pressure, you know, high blood pressure for a long time as they get older. So there are some negative consequences of something that we don't even know is there. Yes. You know, because you they, you know, most people are not going to have any symptoms from high blood pressure, but it is something that should be monitored. And that's a I think you make a really valuable point is like if you don't get your blood pressure checked, you have no way of knowing whether it's high or not. You know, people that have super high blood pressure may have symptoms like ringing in their ears, pounding in their ears. Some people may have symptoms, but most people have no way of knowing whether their blood pressure is higher or lower. They just don't know. So it's yeah. one of the 
one of the reasons that I can think of that it's a good idea to get regular medical checkups. Or get a blood pressure cut. You know, you can get, get your own cuff at home. Because what I see a lot, you know, people have white coat syndrome. Yep, which yeah. <laughs> is, I, I have white coat syndrome. Yep. You know, white coat syndrome for you folks out there listening is when you go to the doctor, you get a little bit anxious when they take your blood pressure and your blood pressure goes up which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the, the acute stress of some crazy person with a white coat taking your blood pressure. Um, so I encourage people to actually measure it at home. And it's uh, very rare that someone's blood pressure when they take it at home is not lower than when it's taken in a doctor's office. Yep, yep, totally agree. The cuffs are cheap these days. They're generally good quality um you know most yeah. of the ones that you see in your drugstore you, you know you can pretty much believe that they're not crappy quality yeah just buy if there's any question at all if there's a family history go ahead and buy one so bob what do you do it says someone comes in we both agree that this is multifactorial it has everything to do with the way we live our lives today but the practical issue someone comes in to you and and whether they know or they don't know they have blood pressure or if they're on blood pressure medication. Actually, those are two questions. Someone's not on blood pressure medication and their blood pressure is a little bit elevated and we give them the lifestyle changes. And then are there supplements that, that you use a lot for high blood pressure? Certainly. Um, one thing I would say is I, I don't know any one thing that people can take that's magic. Right. There was one herb that I had used to use a lot that I would say was close to magic, and that was raw wolfia. Which is what one of, isn't one of those blood pressure medications actually made from there? Well, it used to be, and in India, you can still get raw wolfia. It was actually one of the first commercially available blood pressure drugs, uh, was reserpine, which was made from raw wolfia, which is a traditional Ayurvedic remedy. Right, so that they've been using it in India forever, and then researchers got a hold of it and said, "Wait a minute, this stuff really works. What's the active ingredient?" And as often happens in medicine, as soon as you take the one active, in what you think is the active ingredient, out of the herb and start giving it to people, then it's more potent but has more side effects. And the problem with reserpine is that it caused depression. It was a very, very popular drug, reserpine, and then eventually it got taken off the market. I don't know if it really got taken off the market. It just, the company stopped making it in the U.S. and now is basically impossible to get. But it it kind of said, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's some herbal medicines that have potential out there. What I use instead in my patients is a combination. I use fish oil, high doses of EPA and DHA, you know, at least 2,000 milligrams a day. I use magnesium. I prefer the magnesium glycinate and I use garlic. Those, you know, those are kind of my starters. I also make sure people are on a good dose of methylated B vitamins, uh, you know, methylguard, something like that. Methylguard plus that Thorn makes, I think is a really good one that helps raise your nitric oxide, which is a really interesting concept. So nitric oxide is a gas and we know that in high quantities, it's toxic. But we also know that our blood vessel walls make these tiny amounts of nitric oxide, and that's what allows the vessel walls to stay open. And it turns out certain foods like arugula and beets raise nitric oxide. Arginine raises arginine. nitric oxide. 
citrulline raises nitric oxide so and resveratrol raises nitric oxide so that's another set of supplements that i sometimes use as a combination of of arginine and citrulline yeah sometimes sometimes citrulline with it which recycles that the thorn has a product called perfusia that's got a lot of those things in it the resveratrol that i think is a really good supplement to try for people with high blood pressure so yeah raising nitric oxide raising magnesium thinning the blood with fish oil those are all good strategies what about bergamot have you ever used bergamot you know i'm i'm just starting to use it in my practice i'm using it more for fatty liver have have you found that it helps with hypertension it's hard to say because you know with hypertension i'm usually using magnesium and fish oils and a couple of things and lifestyle you know losing weight of low carb diets etc but I've been using bergamot sometimes when people have, you know, for cholesterol or for lipid problems and for blood pressure. And then I often use CoQ10 as well. Yep, yep. There's data on CoQ10. And curcumin is another herb that I often put people on. So, yeah, there are a whole lot of different nutrients. Yeah, so so the way, yeah, the way I see high blood pressure often is one of those downstream effects of, all these lifestyle bad habits and so and that's why I love the the, the curcumins and the CoQ10s and the fish oils because they seem to have so many downstream effects on so many different organ systems so I use uh, yes I use all the above I use that there's articles on alpha lipoic acid how the using alpha lipoic acid with angiotensin receptor blockers which I got to say are my favorite class of drugs for treating blood pressure. If somebody needs to be on a drug, then the ARBs, angiotensin receptor blockers, I think are the best. They have almost no side effects. I, I use one called Telmasartan, Valsartan, so the, all the sartans. If you have to be on a drug, that's a good one. And alpha lipoic acid is synergistic with that. That's interesting to know. Okay, thank you. So thanks, Bob. That, uh, that was great to hear I, I didn't know that at all the other one one last thing to squeeze in is olive oil and olive leaf people don't people think of olive leaf as being a good immune booster but olive leaf and olive oil are both really good for high blood pressure interesting okay thank you bob so now we're going to take a short break and when we get back we'll take some questions Aging is an inevitable process, but there are things we can do to help us age better. That's exactly what my outstanding co-host discusses in his latest book, The New Rules of Aging Well, a simple program for immune resilience, strength, and vitality. In this beautifully illustrated book, Dr. Lippman unveils a simple program to ensure that your body ages as healthily as possible with simple, practical, and doable tips based on ancient wisdom and backed up by the latest science on longevity. Dr. Lippman helps identify lifestyle changes that will significantly improve your natural aging process by optimizing fitness and rest, dietary habits, and focusing on inner health and deeper wellness. Whether you are 25 or 65, this book should be essential reading for those interested in building better immunity, wellness, and longevity. The New Rules of Aging Well is available in hard copy, ebook, or audiobook. 
Order your copy today by visiting drfranklipman.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-K-L-I-P-M-A-N dot C-O-M or through Amazon and other major book retailers. And we're back. Now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Okay, Bob, our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, can you explain how blood pressure works? I never understand what the numbers 78 or 123 mean. How can people tell what is good or bad from just the numbers? Okay, well, that's a pretty straightforward thing. Basically, you know, the heart is pumping blood into the blood vessels and you have to maintain a, a lower amount of pressure just so that the blood vessels don't collapse. So that lower number called the diastolic number, that's the pressure that never goes lower. Whereas the upper number, the systolic, that's the surge that you get whenever the heart pumps. So they, they both mean two different things and they both have two slightly different implications for health. Now the norm is considered to be 120 over 80. So that's millimeters of mercury. So the if you've got a 80 millimeters of mercury as your lower number, your diastolic, then that's the tonic blood pressure that you never go lower than. And, and that kind of reflects the overall flexibility of your arteries. So if your arteries are hardened, then that lower number starts to creep up. So it can go up to 90, it can go up to 100, you know, and that's a concern because that says, well, your arteries are never really relaxing. Now, another part of the flexibility is what happens when the heart pumps. If the heart pumps and the vessels are rigid, then instead of the vessels dilating more to accommodate the big flow coming through, you know, it's like a miniature tsunami coming through the vessels, then instead of it just sending blood out more efficiently to the body, then the pressure just goes up. So when it gets over 120, you start to get a little bit concerned. Now, some people say 120 over 80, that's the norm. That's considered okay. But, you know, these aboriginal tribes that live a very different lifestyle from us, they may run a blood pressure of 90 over 60. So maybe even 120 over 80 is higher than it should be. But the technical definition of hypertension is when the blood pressure is consistently over 140 over 90. That implies that the blood vessels are rigid or that kidneys are retaining salt, that, that something is keeping that average blood pressure higher than normal. So again, if people want to know what's good or bad, you know, if you're running a blood pressure that's always over 140 or it's spiking up 150, 160, then something needs to be done. Yeah. So what is, Frank, what does it feel like when you have high blood pressure? Is there anything to look for? Well, this is the problem. It doesn't feel like anything. Until your blood pressure is quite high, you, you can get symptoms like headaches or ringing in your ears. Or, but most people, because their blood pressure is usually not that high, it may be high, but not that high, are asymptomatic. Earlier in our discussion, we are encouraging people either to go get it checked at the doctor or just get a blood pressure cuff because you don't actually have any symptoms from high blood pressure until it's very high. And, and when it's very high, 
that becomes more dangerous. So we don't want you to wait until you have symptoms from high blood pressure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. How can I lower my blood pressure immediately? Well, it depends on how high it is. I mean, if it's 200 over 120, that is kind of bordering on being a medical emergency. And, you know, if it stays that way for more than a couple of hours, and if, or if that's really unusual for the person, if it's somebody who's had long-standing hypertension and they run that kind of blood pressure, then uh, it's a little bit less of a concern. But if a person has a normal blood pressure 120 over 80 and suddenly it's spiking up, that means something's seriously wrong and, and they should go to the hospital and be evaluated. For somebody that has a more minor spike, you know, if it's 150 over 90, then the single best thing they can do is a, is a good long meditation. The other thing that I uh, have recommended and, you know, seen work is getting intravenous magnesium. Yep, I've done it myself. Yep, can be amazing. Can be yep. amazing. It really creates this calm, mellow feeling. So if you have access to a local uh, IV center, and, the, and these places are popping up all over the country now, yeah. you know, yeah. then you want to get at least 1,000 milligrams of magnesium. Some places won't go higher than that, but I have given people 3 grams, 3,000 milligrams of magnesium. And, wow. you know, if, if you've got a spike in blood pressure, then you may need 3 grams to do that. So why is high blood pressure called hypertension, Frank? That's sort of what you had just explained. You get tension in the arterial vessels and there's more pressure that's needed to pump out the blood so that's why it's hyper high tension in the vessels so i'm assuming that's why it's called hypertension it's increased tension in the blood vessels causing extra tension on the heart or pressure when the heart has to pump out the blood into the vessels yep i, I think that's reasonable I, i'm not sure when they first started using that term, I'm guessing they didn't fully understand what caused it. They just said, well, you know, you must have a lot of tension in your body. I, I don't know. I'm just guessing that that's where that word came from originally. Okay. So does blood pressure vary by age? Absolutely. The older a person gets, the more they tend to have an increase in blood pressure that doesn't come down with simple relaxation. So that's important because when I see somebody who's in their late 20s or 30s that's starting to run higher blood pressure and they say, it's probably nothing, I'm probably stressed, then I say, you know, th this to me is a big red flag because if you're young and your blood pressure is going up, the older you get, the more this is going to be a problem. And I'm saying that not to scare the person. I'm just saying this means you need to figure out how to deal with this. You need to address it somehow you need to make lifestyle changes, lose weight, get your blood sugar down, start regularly meditating. Sometimes I say, go ahead now and see somebody who does Chinese medicine because there's some Chinese herbs that can be really effective. If a person has high blood pressure at a younger age, it kind of doesn't bode well. It means they may be dealing with that for a long time. So Frank, what kind of yoga is best for lowering blood pressure? Is it, is it just stretching that helps? Or is there something specific about the type of yoga? Well, that's an interesting question because I always used to think that it was just the relaxation aspect of yoga that helped blood pressure. But there was actually a recent study that showed that stretching actually helps high blood pressure. And when you think about it 
anatomically or physiologically, it makes sense because when you stretch, you're not you're stretching the fascia, that the connective tissue that holds the you know the blood vessels and all the organs together. And when you're stretching the fascia, you're stretching the blood vessels too. So you decreasing that tension, that hypertension in the blood vessels. So stretching does help blood pressure. And, um, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of restorative yoga because you stay in certain poses for a long time. It's very relaxing, really stretches the body out. And just a, an interesting point of, of reference here, Mr. Iyengar, who's not around anymore, who's probably one of the best known um, Indian gurus who brought uh, yoga to America. I mean, everyone probably knows about Iyengar yoga now has in the Iyengar Center in Pune in India, they have a special cardiac clinic where doctors for many years have been sending cardiac patients and hypertensive patients to Mr. Iyengar's studio in Pune for treatment. So he used to treat blood pressure and cardiac problems generally with yoga. So obviously yoga helps probably because of the relaxation effect, but I think it's more than that. I mean, I just think stretching the vessels obviously has some effect and then just improving general blood flow and organ function i'm sure has an effect too yep absolutely so uh, yoga yoga is definitely something i recommend yeah so here's a question for you but why does anxiety increase blood pressure well in the simplest term it's the stress chemicals the anxiety raises stress chemicals from the adrenal glands are firing adrenaline is gonna you know increase the heart rate increase heart pumping all of that so this the stress on the heart that's what does it no there's really no question about it yeah so so the way to understand that folks is so that fight or flight syndrome so we know that when you in the jungle and you see a lion or you're in a traffic jam and you get acutely hyped up you either you know it's called fight or flight you either got to fight the lion or you got to run away and that sympathetic system that's activated by the fight or flight aspect of life raises your blood pressure as amongst other things that Bob just talked about. So the problem is we are continually activating our sympathetic nervous system or continually activating this fight or flight response because it's not only that we have to run away from lions or have to deal with the news or or in traffic, we have this chronic stress which keeps stimulating that sympathetic system. And that's why, you know, we are, there's this continual response from the sympathetic nervous system that was developed for acute situations and now has become chronic in in the way we live our lives today. I don't know about you, Frank, but I more than once have been running from a saber-toothed tiger inside my brain. (laughs) Well, I, I have actually almost run away from an elephant. I mean, once in the game park <laughs> from an elephant. in South Africa, I drove, you know, elephants. So I, lo- I, I love elephants. But so in, in our day, anyway, we used, to drive, we used to drive around in the game parks and I got a little bit too close to an elephant and it started flapping its ears. And oh, I went, yeah, <laughs> quick reverse and like just. Yeah, anyway, so that that was a typical fight. Fight or flight, flight. yeah, with good reason. Okay, so Bob, we talked about this, but let's just, you know, how do you lower your blood pressure naturally without medication? 
Well, I think, I think it's you know, important I'll, to yeah. to recap on that one. Yeah, yeah. So it's lifestyle first, and we talked about that. Those are pretty straightforward things. Like you said, people don't realize that carbohydrates in excess can cause insulin resistance. So diabetes and high blood pressure go really well together. Metabolic syndrome is the precursor to diabetes. Keep getting your blood sugar down is pretty important. And then, you know, we talked about it being a whole list of supplements you could try. If the person's got metabolic syndrome or type 2 diabetes, then berberine is way up on my list. Alpha lipoic acid's way up on my list. Certainly magnesium for everybody. Eating a lot of uh, potassium-rich foods. Uh, a little bit of citrus, but not so much that you get the sugar, right? So, you know, all this stuff together. So, Frank, people say they never hear about low blood pressure. What's the deal with low blood pressure? Well, that's a good question because I actually see a lot of people with low blood pressure. And usually that has to do with um, what, what I call adrenal fatigue or what's called adrenal fatigue. I mean, I hate that term, but it's basically long-term stress, which, you know, we t I just talked a couple of minutes ago about increasing your blood pressure. But if you develop adrenal fatigue and you, you sort of overworked your adrenal hormones, your blood pressure is often low. So I see that quite a bit. People who come in exhausted have quite low blood pressure and um, are tired. Um, they may have problems sleeping. They're cold all the time. They have a poor response to stress. And, you know, I'm recommending salt. For those people, I tell people to have a quarter or even a half a teaspoon of salt in water. I, I use licorice a lot. Yep, yep. Adaptogens with licorice I find extremely helpful. But, you know, low blood pressure is much easier to treat because it's usually someone who has chronic fatigue or adrenal fatigue, whatever you want to call it. And we give them some adaptogens with licorice. I tell them to use some salt, meditation. So it's a little bit of a different mechanism to high blood pressure, and it's usually easier to treat. Yeah, I agree. I think the main thing I'd point out is that if the person's not having symptoms with it, then they shouldn't worry. So, right. you know, I, I have people that are getting an exam, and I say, well, your blood pressure is 90 over 60, and they go, oh, my God, is that a problem? Well, it means they're probably never going to have a heart attack or a stroke, for one thing. So, you know, the number one question I ask is, do you get lightheaded when you stand up quickly or right. when you run upstairs? And if you don't, if they don't feel adrenal fatigue, you know, if yeah. they're not feeling like depleted, if they feel healthy and their blood pressure is low, then I wouldn't treat it. I wouldn't do anything about right. it, you know, unless they're having symptoms with it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Really good point. Just having low blood pressure and being asymptomatic is not you don't do anything about it but if you're getting a little bit dizzy when you sit up or sit up too quickly or going up the stairs or you, ha you have fatigue or other symptoms of adrenal fatigue then yes it's worth treating so thank you for that bob and once again thank you for always you know it's so great chatting you and too, folks, that's all we have for this week and Bob, once again, I love listening to you talk about everything, but especially all things health. You as well, Frank, and watch out for those elephants. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, 
simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.